We are going to uh, jump into the book of Revelation. So if you have your Bibles, turn over to the last book of the Bible, over to Revelation. I promise you can share more miraculous things you've seen God do after service, all right? But I wanted us to be encouraged and to be reminded of the God who we serve. And it is so helpful. You can go through a week and God is doing all these great things and you're just unaware. Or maybe you see them, but you don't equate them with this is what God is doing. This is what God is producing. It's so important, so good for our hearts. I do have one final plug. Uh, I'm sure it's not final, final, but for the 40 days of prayer, we are selling the book today. It's a great series. If you haven't started yet, you are not alone. I know this to be true. I was going to have everyone raise their hand and close their eyes, but I, you are not alone. I, I absolutely know. I've talked to some people. Tomorrow is a great day one for the 40 days of prayer, right? It, uh, trust me, anyone in the room who started it is like, go for it. It's, it's worth it just to get into that habit again and uh, even find someone in the fellowship that hasn't started as well and, and join with them and find that prayer partner as well. So my encouragement is get Get jumped into that. It's going to be a great uh, a series. It's been really beneficial for those that have started it. So as a church, we're going through the letters of John, and we're in Revelation, which is, ooh, scary, but not really that scary because we know that Revelation is a message of hope and encouragement to the persecuted church and saying, hold on, Jesus is far greater than the powers that be that are persecuting you in your faith and in your church. And so it's a message of encouragement. And in this series, uh, in this uh, book of Revelation, we're, we're looking at the, the letters to the seven churches in Revelation 2 and 3. And uh, we started with the church in Ephesus, and the message was, you have forsaken your first love. And he says, do what you did at first. This is Jesus' message to the churches. And then last week, Josiah did a fantastic job talking about what it's like to seek God under pressure, that they were feeling pressure right? He, he didn't, his only, his only feedback I gave him, more or less, was he didn't reference the under pressure song. Doom, 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 doom. But besides that, no. But what a great call that we're, we feel the pressure and we don't have to be, we don't have to be pulled in and, and, and weighed down by it, but we actually can endure. Today, that middle church there on the sign Thyatira is the church we're going to talk about today. And uh, the, this mini-series here is the Jesus-approved church. If Jesus were to look at our church and at our lives, not the church as far as structure, but the church as far as people, if you were to enter into our lives and say, okay, this is what you're doing well, it's like a report card from Jesus. This is what's going well, and this is what is not going well. And so today, as much as it's inspiring to stand firm under pressure and to do the things you did at first, today the message is that we need to stand firm and to be intolerant. Got a little quiet there. I was like, what, what church did I walk into today, right? But we need to be a church that stands firm and, and is intolerant. The Jesus-approved church is an intolerant church. Now, don't leave yet. Stay, you know, stay in your seats. It's going to be a little bumpy. We're going to have some turbulence today, but I promise we're going to get to a destination where we leave here with greater faith and I believe with greater trust in Jesus. But uh, we're going to talk about being a little bit intolerant today. By the way, that's the great sin of our day, the sin of intolerance, right? To, to be intolerant, to not approve of what someone's doing or to show any, any indication of a, a lack of approval or thumbs up towards how someone's living is seen as the great sin in our culture. But the reality is we, have, we all have things in our life that we do not tolerate. 
If you have a home or an apartment or even a dorm, you have things that you do not tolerate in your home. And I'm not talking about, oh, we don't let this music in or that music. I'm like, uh, sometimes like, we don't tolerate walking around with shoes on, <laughs> right? That's a no-go. If you're coming into my house, you take your shoes off. Some of you are like, we don't tolerate taking your shoes off. Please keep your shoes on. Don't want your feet walking around in my house. You know, you, you uh, might be the kind of person who your kids are, are really generous and they want to feed the, the cat in the back alley, the stray cat. And you're like, no, we do not tolerate feeding the stray cat because we know it's going to make its way into our home. No way. It might be someone, we do not tolerate pet snakes in our home. <laughs> we're, we're in, we all draw a line somewhere. You get what I'm saying? That when it comes to our home, we're like, hey, that's good for them. They can have all the snakes that they want down there in Florida or wherever they are, right? Or in the, the Kirby household. I think there's a pet snake there somewhere, right? That's great for them. But as for me and my household, ain't no snake coming in this door, amen? <laughs> so we know how to, how to have a, a strong stance. My, my wife, my, my daughter Anna is sick, so my wife's home with her. She loves to, to cook all kinds of food, but she loves Brussels sprouts, and I am intolerant of the smell of Brussels sprouts being cooked, right? There's an aroma where you walk in and you're like, oh man, this is going to last for about 48 more hours in our home, right? I'm intolerant. She still does it anyway, right? But I'm like, oh, really? You got to count the cost before you, you cook some Brussels But we all have stuff where we draw the line. So today we're looking at what does God say that he is intolerant in his home? What does he say that this is my house, and as for, for you, if you're going to be in my house, this is a standard for being a part of my family and a part of the church. So let's read together in Revelation 2 and talk about the intolerant church together. It's going to be a spicy one, by the way. If you got your antacid, go ahead and go for it. All right, Revelation chapter 2, verse 18, it says, To the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These are the words of the Son of God whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your deeds, your love and faith, your service and perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering, and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely, unless they repent of her ways. I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am he who searches heart and mind and will repay each of you according to your deeds." Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold to her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burden on you except to hold on to what you have until I come. To the one who is victorious and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. That one will rule them, that one will rule them, excuse me, with an iron scepter and will dash them to pieces like pottery. Just as I have received authority from my Father, I will also give that one the morning star. Whoever has ears, let, him, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. 
It's an interesting one, right? The, the, the first one we looked at was you forsaken your first love, do what you did at first. We're all like, yes, I can relate to that. I've fallen a little bit out of love with Jesus. I need a little bit more. Let's go. And this one from the bat, it says, you tolerate that woman. Like, whoa, okay, what's going on in Thyatira? What's happening? And then you read a little bit more, and he's like, if, you, if she keeps up, I'm going to put her into a, a bed of suffering, and all, all those that commit sin will be suffering as well, and then I'm going to kill her children. And you're like, Jesus, what's, <laughs> what's going on here? This is intense. But it's intense for a reason, because Jesus takes his church seriously. And he's got a message here for a church, by the way, that's doing a lot of really good things, but is out of line of God's will for that church. You know, look how it starts. It says, you got all this stuff on straight. I know your deeds, your love, your faith, your service, your perseverance. In fact, compared to that first church, he says, hey, you're doing more than you did at first. You haven't forsaken your first love. You're more in love than when you started. You hear that description, you're like, sign me up for membership classes. That sounds like a church I want to be a part of. But of course, we know the, the model of, of the letters to the church and the message for us is very similar. Hey, that's all great, yet I have this against you. And we got to perk our ears up and say, what is it that Jesus had against this church? And what it says very clearly is that the thing he has against this church is that you tolerate that woman Jezebel who claims to be a prophet. <coughs> And it seems like Jesus is particularly upset because she is leading others away into sin and to sinful practices. So that's the issue here in the church. So we're going to break this down just a little bit. Who is Jezebel? We've got to start there. Scholars are kind of on the fence here. Was this an actual person in the church in Thyatira or more likely that she represented a teaching of the world or the false religion around them? And by saying you tolerate this Jezebel, you're tolerating this false teaching to permeate in the fellowship and it's leading other people into sin. He's saying there's something off here. Jezebel was famous in the Old Testament. She was like top notch, the Thanos of the Bible, of the the Old Testament. She's the the bad villain, the the most evil woman in the Old Testament is Jezebel. And what had happened was King Ahab of Israel uh, decided that he wanted peace with uh, with the, the people that God had told him not to cause peace with. And so he said, well, let me, let me marry into these other religions. And he marries Jezebel, who's uh, basically the, the queen of another nation or the princess of another nation. And he marries her, and then he starts adopting her religion. She was a, a prophetess or a priestess of the, the false god Baal or Baal, depending on how you read it, B-A-A-L. So she was a false priestess of this other god, And so when Ahab married her, he took on her customs. And all of a sudden, Israel, who's supposed to stand and serve one God, the one Lord only, is now worshiping this other God, Baal, and is worshiping as well, putting up Asherah poles and celebrating all these other gods around them. So basically, this point in Israel's history, where Israel's supposed to stand firm and actually be a beacon of hope to the other nations who are committing atrocities, and Israel's supposed to stand firm and be this hopeful beacon to everyone else now caves under the pressure and says, we're going to be like everybody else. Bring us your gods. We'll worship them too. And they start to blend in and they commit atrocity after atrocity. And God is not pleased with Ahab, with Jezebel, or with the nation as a whole. Jezebel represents an act of compromise that leads to improper worship. So that's what's happening here. They are are tolerant 
of a false teaching that's leading to compromise and, and allowing the church to say, hey, this is okay and that's okay. And all of a sudden, this beacon of hope in the, in the church in Thyatira, in the city around them, there's supposed to be this beacon of hope. And they're letting in these false teachings. And this group that's supposed to be set apart is caving in and committing sexual immorality, which is sex outside of marriage, sex outside of God's design for sex in any, in any form. And a lot of that, by the way, was going to another temple, most likely the temple of Apollos, who was the sun god, the god of that area. They would go and worship, and by worshiping, they would sleep with the, the prostitutes that were in that, that place. And then they would eat the food that was sacrificed to idols, and they were worshiping the god. They were, it, was, it was awful, right? And so there's supposed to be these Christians, and yet they're worshiping other gods in shameful and improper ways. All that to be said... Jesus, rightly so, is like, hey, that shouldn't happen in my church. So we read the word intolerant, we're like, whoa, Jesus. But rightly so, there's something that's missing, that a line is meant to be drawn that has not been drawn in the church. They are compromising. Behind this Thyatira, the city, is a trade hub. It's a place where things are produced, and it had one of the most uh, popular trade routes among them. And so as a, as a city, the city is known for compromise. How do you make a deal? You kind of have to compromise a little bit. I'll give you this, you give me this. And so as a culture, they are known for compromise. And the culture around them is seeping into the church. And they're compromising. They're, they're worshiping another God that includes sexual morality and eating food sacrificed to idols. In order for the church to survive, they adopted the idea of worshiping these other gods. And they adopted that they needed to be tolerant of sin inside the church and uh, the people living in the church that are uh, living in a way that's not in accordance with God's, God's way. So before we keep going, let's pause for a second. If I keep saying the word intolerant, we're going to have a hard time. God's word is so clear that we are to love our neighbor as ourselves. So abundantly clear that those that are different, that those that are living lives counter, uh, counterintuitive to the ways of God that we are meant to love, that we are meant to pursue, that we are meant to not judge, that we are called to be completely humble and gentle, to be considerate, all of that is absolutely true. And this doesn't change any of that. What's happening is as, as much as we're meant to do that towards those outside of the community, in the community, there is a standard to being a Christian. Prayerfully, this is not news to us. There is a standard to following Jesus. And, and God expects us to adhere to the standard. And, and uh, I'll explain this in... in uh, by looking at an example, you don't have to turn there, but 1 Corinthians 5. So in 1 Corinthians 5, there's some terrible things going on in the church as well. Incest going on in the church, and no one's dealing with it, right? And so Paul writes this letter. He goes, this should not be happening. And he says in verse 9, I'll just quote it here. He says, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Then he goes, not at all meaning the people in this world who are immoral or greedy or swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you'd have to leave this world. But now I'm writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister, but is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater, a slanderer, a drunkard, or a swindler. Do not even eat with such people. What business is it of mine to judge those outside of the church, but are you to judge those inside? So we have this kind of mentality in our culture that says, don't judge me, bro. Don't just anything that smells like judgment, I want to keep that far away. But as a Christian, and as my brothers and sisters, I implore you, please judge me, bro and sis. 
I need your eyes on my life because there are things in my life that are not in accordance with God's word, and I need you to judge me out of love and call me to a greater uh, life with God. We need that. I appreciate uh, Scott Sterling this morning. I had a piece of uh, string or something on my back, and he came over, and he took the string off. I was like, that is so spiritual. Thank you for doing that, right? But that's spiritually what we need. I don't know what's back here. I was going to come up with like a sign that said, kick me up here and like turn around a whole bunch, but I, I went against it. But sometimes we have blind spots. We have things we don't notice, and we need people to point that out. And what he's saying is don't judge those outside of the church, but there is a standard for those that claim to be a Christian. And I also got to throw this in there. It's not about perfection. So if we look at this too closely, like any sin in the church kick it out of here. We would all literally get up and leave, right? That's not how it works. But what he's saying is you're acting like it's okay. There's a difference. As Christians, we all have sin and no sin is greater than another sin. Some sin is more external and has more earthly consequences, but all sin is the same. But we've got to have a conviction that have I let this thing be okay? Maybe I don't say, hey, this is okay, but I've allowed it in my life or in the life of my brothers or sisters. That that God's word is clear on what is sin and what is not sin. And we've got to say, have I, have I compromised on what God's word says? But it's not about perfection, but it's about having conviction about what God's word says. So what's going on in here, this teaching or this person, maybe it was a person, probably not named Jezebel, but maybe there was a prophetess who's claiming to be a person of God, claiming to be a prophet of the Lord, is uh, letting this false teaching spread amongst the community. The tolerance of sin in the community is leading to compromise. And Jesus says that's not okay. You cannot let an idea or teaching or person unwilling to repent be part of the community. When God says uh, that idea, um, when God says that, the uh, I'll skip that for just a second. Anyway, no one is perfect. We talked about that. I got a lot of notes here, so bear with me. Amen? So it's not about perfection. No house is perfect, Right? You don't need to raise your hand, but if you ever had a mouse in your house, you know, okay, no house is perfect, but you weren't like, oh, there's a mouse. Let me get it some cheese. <laughs> like, oh, I'll just let this thing go. Things that pop up that aren't as they should be, as Christians, we have a conviction that that needs to be different, and we need to change that. So that's what I mean by it's not about having the perfect house, but it is about saying when I see things that are not as they should be, I take action. I say, that is not okay in my life. So Jesus seems to be most upset about this, not just because it's being allowed, but because it's leading others in the fellowship away. Jesus, if you read about Jesus, one of the things he gets most mad about is when leaders, the Pharisees, or when leaders in terms of parents or adults lead uh, those that they're, they're leading astray, right? He gets really mad. In fact, he says, anyone who leads one of these little ones away, go ahead and tie a millstone around their neck and throw them in the river. So Jesus who's all about peace and love, the one time he's like, no, tie, tie a stone around their neck, throw them in the water, is when somebody is, is threatening somebody else by leading them in the wrong direction. So all that being said, Jesus is most upset here because they're intolerant, and that intolerance is causing things to, to slide in the church and for sin to, that is normally, or normally would not be okay, to be okay. I'll give you an example of this. If you have uh, something in your house that, maybe has mold on it or something, it's probably not just going to go away if you ignore it, right? If you just say, oh, I won't look over there. It's going to happen. When I was in, uh, I've told you guys this story a while ago. When I was in college, my, my freshman year, 
my aunt lived about a, an hour away, and I went and visited her, and she made me a blackberry cobbler, my, my favorite type of cobbler. It was awesome. It's delicious. But I had a bunch left over. And I asked her, does this need to be refrigerated? And a pie can go on the counter for a couple days. It doesn't need to be refrigerated. She said no. That was a mistake. Because what I heard is I can set this aside under my bed for a couple of weeks. And when I'm hungry, when I'm craving that blackberry cobbler again, I got, you know, got the napkin tucked into my shirt, knife and fork out, pulled it out. And it wasn't a blackberry, it was a blueberry or a greenberry cobbler, right? It was green, it had mold all over it, right? And it, it didn't taste good either. Just kidding. I didn't, I didn't eat it. I didn't eat it. But had I left it there, the smell, the, the vermin that would come in, it's not going anywhere, right? And that's like sin unchecked in our lives or in our community. It ain't going anywhere, Right? It starts to stink. It starts to, to get an aroma going on. There you go. Some, something's off when we allow things to go on. And that's why Jesus says we got to draw a line because we can't just turn a blind eye. It's not going anywhere. Um, so Jesus is not okay with this. He goes, not in my house, not in my church. And he feels really strongly. In fact, he says these lines that I gave her an opportunity to repent. She didn't. So I'm going to cast her on a bed of suffering. And then those who don't repent as well will also suffer. And I'll dash, or her children will die as well. And all that to say, there's a consequence to compromise. When we're in a habit of compromising in ourselves or in our community, there is a consequence. And he's alluding, by the way, to the fate of actual Jezebel in her story and what happens in her life, that a life of compromise hurts the community at large, but eventually she, she actually falls out of a window, or she's pushed out of a window by her servants. They betray her. It's a little bit gruesome, but she's, she dies. She's trampled by horses, and then her bones are cleaned off by wild dogs. So it did not go well for Jezebel, right? But all that to say, there's a consequence. And I'm not, I'm not condoning violence or anything like that, but we can't lie to ourselves and be like, oh, this little compromise will be okay. This little thing will be okay. It's not okay. The very nature of compromise is that we think, I'll never get to that point. And little by little, say, no, never there. And all of a sudden, we're there, and we're like, how did I get here? But it's that little compromise. No one wakes up one morning deeply in love with their spouse and chooses to have an affair. It's compromise, little by little. No one wakes up and says, I'm done with God. Forget this whole God thing. It starts with a little bit of compromise over time. That's what compromise does, and that's what's happening in the church. So back to the story of Jezebel. You guys still with me? Okay. No one, no one left, I don't think. Okay. So we get that Jesus wants us to be an intolerant church and not allow sin to be okay, that God says it's not okay. If you look at the story of Jezebel, we'll go back here in a moment. Um, it, it really highlights the nature of compromise. What happened, I, I talked about this a second ago, Ahab marries Jezebel. And the sense is that, uh, and, and the quote, I meant to have this on the screen, but longing for comfort leads to compromise then we are left with catastrophe. That's what happens with Ahab. He's longing for comfort, so he compromises, and the results are catastrophic. Longing for comfort leads to compromise, and then we are left with catastrophe. Jezebel was worshiping Baal, these false gods, Melech, Asherah as well. These other gods around them, you know what they did? They did child sacrifice. So when we read like about these false gods, like, God really seems like jealous of these other gods, what's going on. He's like, no, you're killing my children. 
Stop worshiping these other gods because the practices are atrocious. And so what happened is Ahab marries Jezebel, and we turn a few pages later, and Ahab is rebuilding Israel, and he needs to fortify a wall. And what does he do? He ritually sacrifices his oldest son to go and do it. Not a temple. Not, he just, okay, we got to do a new building project. Let's break ground by killing my child. God is horrified at this reality. Then a few, uh, just a sentence later, they need to build something else, and so his youngest child is sacrificed as well. Kind of an intense sermon. I know we're talking about all kinds of stuff. But what it shows is there's consequence. The results of compromise are catastrophic. What is Ahab doing? Then on top of that, oh, sorry. Well, he's leading the nation to awful compromise because he tolerated and treated with other people, and he got in bed with Jezebel. Then on top of that, Jezebel decides that she's going to kill the prophets of God. So there's people that God has put in Israel's nation to say, Ahab, stop doing that. Jezebel, stop doing that. And did Ahab listen? No. <laughs> did Jezebel listen? No. She said, kill that man. And they killed and, and put to death all these prophets. The hope of Israel was being slaughtered. And uh, we know kind of the story of, of Elijah. Elijah is being hunted and attacked by Jezebel. She's like, put that prophet to death. And she's literally on this manhunt to bring Elijah down. On top of that, God says this isn't okay for his nation. And he's, he gives three years without rain. So the whole people in our life that aren't even compromises suffer when we're compromising. Does that make sense? Like when it's not just about us in our life, but the people around us suffer. The innocent people around us suffer. And that's what's happening. All right, that's what compromise leads to. Leads us to a place we never thought we could end up. When we're longing for comfort, it leads to compromise, and we're left in catastrophe. So the call is don't compromise, but what is the solution? Just, just don't? But I think it's actually found here in the story of Jezebel. Her issue was that she was silencing the prophet. The prophet isn't somebody with a crystal ball that's telling the future. The prophet is simply somebody who's speaking the words of God, who's speaking truth in somebody's life. And instead of listening, she's silencing the voice of the prophet. Jesus is stepping in. He's like, Jezebel isn't the prophet here in Thyatira. I'm the prophet. Listen to me and repent. Look at what he says. I search the hearts and minds. He says, I have eyes like blazing fire. I see what's going on. Trust me and listen to the voice of the prophet. Listen to the voice of the prophet in your life. You know, we became Christians, church. We became Christians because someone, because God allowed someone to use the word of God as a prophet in our life, and we listened. When did you stop listening to the prophets that God has placed in your life? That's how we came to know God, right? We listened. When did you decide that listening wasn't that important anymore? Think about it. When was the last time you, you had someone share some truth with you in your life? Maybe it was yesterday. Maybe it was last week. Maybe it's been a while. When was the last time you asked somebody, hey, what do you see in my character? What's off? What's going on? You know, I don't think we, we say, you know what? Forget any prophets. Forget any truth telling. I don't want any of that. I don't think we do that. I think what we do is we just turn down the volume. We avoid situations where some truth might get exposed. We go out of our way to do that. It's kind of like, if you, uh, you call somebody on the phone, 
And you're like, hey, do you have some time to talk? But they're in the car with the windows down. And like, sure, I have some time to talk. And you're like, okay, maybe I'll just call you back. And like, no, we can talk. You know, like, I can't, I can't hear you. Like, yeah, we're communicating, we're interacting, but nothing's getting through. Some of you are like, James, that happens every time I call you. I don't know, right? But um, it's kind of this idea of a false sense of communication. Like, I, I, I get, maybe you even get with somebody, but all you do is talk about all your problems with no call to truth or to action. Church, we've got to be people who listen to the prophets in our life. We've got to position ourselves to have those conversations. And I, I get it. I don't mind reading scripture, reading a spiritual book, even like thinking and talking and convicting myself. I love that, right? I love reading about, oh, I'm not doing this thing that Jesus has called me to. I want to change. I'm excited. I love that feeling. What I don't like is someone could point out the exact same thing kindly and lovingly and say, hey, I've noticed this. This isn't good. I'm like, no, no, I'm perfect. How could you ever say that? I don't mind pointing it out myself. But the second somebody else sees something and says something, I turn into a werewolf at night. Oh, get away. And that's, that's what we do is we, we push the voice of the prophet away because we just want that comfort. And sometimes the voice of the prophet is the voice of comfort. And we'd rather stay in our shame and our guilt because that's what we know and that's what's comfortable. And the voice of the prophet is trying to say, you are forgiven. I love so much what Bridget shared in her vulnerability that the voice of the prophet isn't just, this is what you're doing wrong. It's there's something wrong in your perception and I want to provide something that's far greater than what you're holding onto right now. We've got to listen to the voice of the prophet. This is an example of tolerance. And the world values this idea that uh, you ignore anything that makes you feel uncomfortable, uh, anything that denies your truth, anything that doesn't affirm you are perfect just the way that you are. And we go and we listen to videos or podcasts or find people that affirm everything we already think. That's our world today. We must be intolerant of this reality in our world and say, no, I will listen to the voice of the prophets because I trust God. And by the way, I'm just saying, listen, we don't always have to do and, and, and accept everything somebody says, but we have to be humble enough to hear what's being said and trust that God might have a message for me. Total side note, you might be like, I would love to listen to the voice of the prophets, but this person does it wrong and that person, nobody gets me. Guys, in the Bible, God uses a donkey to convict and save somebody's life by speaking. God can use anybody here, not calling y'all donkeys, but he can use anybody to help us. And so we got to be humble and say, okay, who is God trying to use in my life? Amen. So uh, we, we fill our lives with so much stuff that there's no room for the voice of the prophet. You know, one of our core tenets as a church, I, I believe a core tenet of Christianity, is that uh, we try to be in the habit of getting with another Christian once a week to talk about life and the Bible. You guys remember that? Somewhere, somewhere in the back of your minds, uh, James has said that a couple times. That is a core tenet that we're trying to get back to. Let me ask you for a second. Are you in the habit of getting with another Christian, not in your household, right? Yeah, we talk about a dinner. No, someone you're not married to, right? Or is not a roommate, but getting with another Christian, talking about life and the Bible. Is that a reality for you? If you're too busy to do this very basic act of discipleship, then you are too busy. Decide today what needs to get out of your schedule so that you can do this. What hobby do you need to cut? Because this is a basic principle of following Jesus. That we're in the habit of, of get, I'm talking a phone call. I'm talking a 45 minute, you know, talk in the car, whatever version of it it needs to be. But church, we can do this. 
I know if you've been a Christian for longer than, than 10 years, we have done this to an extreme. I know it's possible. And, and in an effort to maybe balance out our life a little bit, we've swung too far the other way, that getting with another person is too much of a burden. And God says, not getting with another person is far too much of a burden for my church. Do not do that. Do not tolerate not listening to the voice of the prophets in your life. Why am I going so hard about this idea of listening to prophets? Tolerance and compromise going unchecked leads to calamity on so many levels. I, uh, I was going to say I'm young. I'm, I'm kind of in between, right? I'm 33 years old, but I have seen time and time again what happens when somebody chooses to not open themselves up to the prophets in their life. I'm seeing it right now with some friends in my life. I've seen the atrocities that happen. It doesn't happen overnight. It's just those little, little things that happen when we stop listening when we're not in the habit of, of hearing what God's trying to say, our lives start to deteriorate. Our heart becomes hardened. And I've seen it ruin marriages. I've seen it ruin families and break apart great things that God has put together. Church, it's so important that we have a conviction about this. Because when we don't, the results are catastrophic. You know, on top of that, the reason I'm going hard on this just a little bit is I think it's very biblical. <laughs> But also, every once in a while, I get hit. Driving around the city, I get hit thinking about different families in the church, outside of the church suffering, going through hard things. I think about what our church is meant to be. We are meant to be that beacon of hope. We are meant to be a mature fellowship that can help people. That can be a place that says, okay, you're having a hard time in your marriage. I've worked on my marriage. I've let people in. I've learned some things that I can now pass on to you. But when we're in the habit of not letting prophets in, we can't offer the world what the world needs. We, we lack maturity. We're still on, on, on milk. And the solid food that we should be eating, and, and then we're handing out milk left and right, we can't do that. We miss something. We're not being who the church needs to be. The church is supposed to be a refuge to the world around us. And that starts, I firmly believe that starts with a decision to open ourselves up to prophets in our life, to be in the habit of meeting with another Christian once a week to talk about your life and the Bible. God's word in James is really clear. Listen to the word and do what it says. Church, we gotta be a refuge. We must be, but I also believe we can be. I believe repentance is refreshing and we can experience this at large as a church. I I've seen it, we're, we're doing it, we're, we're moving things around. There's greater faith that I've seen, but let's keep going. Right? What he says here is those of you who haven't caved, just hang on a little bit longer. Right? That's his message to them. He doesn't even like, he knows it's tough in Thyatira. He's not like, you better do this and do that. He's like, just hang on. I'll be there soon. <laughs> That's the message of Jesus to the church. We just got to hold out hope and cling to what is good, cling to God. So I have a challenge for us today. It's going long. I'm not sorry. It's going long. The challenge is this. Let someone smell you this week. You know, we're not great at smelling ourselves. <laughs> James Martin over there, like, I don't know about that. <laughs> we're not great at, at knowing how we smell, right? Any, it, it, some of you are like, yeah, please stop talking about how I smell, right? You're like, did I put on deodorant today? I'm not sure. But uh, usually someone around you is very aware of how you smell, 
right? Far more. We actually, it's a scientific phenomenon called olfactory fatigue, that our brain gets tired of smelling ourselves, that it kind of blocks it out. And, and you, you aren't able to smell yourself. And praise God that he's given us people in our life that are willing to speak up and say, something, uh, something ain't right right now, right? And uh, my, my dad has a very sensitive nose. He can kind of walk into our house and be like, something might be going on in your basement and figure it out, right? But we need fresh, fresh sniffers in our life. In fact, you ever done this test with your breath? You try to smell, it doesn't quite work. Here, Sam, Sam, come here for a second. This what, so we need to find people that we trust. We're like, does my breath smell? Oh, okay. Oh. Amen. So find somebody and, and, and do a little smell check, right? I, uh, you don't have to do that. I'm talking, just for the record, I'm talking spiritually. I did tell Sam I was going to use him. I didn't say what for. And I thought very strongly about not brushing my teeth to really drive it home this morning. But I, I, I changed my mind. I did not do more than usual. I wanted it to be. Anyway. So what am I saying about all this? Just position yourself this week to open yourself up to somebody. Let, let's practice this for a second. Turn to somebody and say these words. Uh, what do you think? <laughs> Ready? Turn to the, your neighbor. What do you think? You know, okay, try again. Turn again. So what do you think? Because this is what happens sometimes. All right, all right, enough. <laughs> don't, don't answer it. I'm just saying ask it, right? But what happened, not about how you smell. I'm talking about spiritually, right? What happens is we meet up with somebody. What happens is we meet up with somebody. We talk about all the things going wrong, and we have a lot to complain about, and they take some time to complain. We're like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'll pray for you. And there's no profit there. We have to open ourselves up. This is what's going on in my life. What do you see? What do you think? Can you think of a scripture? What would God say to me that you know from your relationship with God? We've got to open ourselves up to truth. Yeah. And if you're sitting there and saying, nobody's been the prophet in my life, that's probably because you're not open enough to the prophets in your life. You might have a little bit of Jezebel shutting down the prophets in your life. Let it not be so and open yourself up to the prophets in your life. So the challenge is just with one person this week, let someone smell you. <laughs> someone take a whiff, right? Pray about it. Ask someone you trust. What do you think? Am I missing something? How can I be more like Jesus as a husband, as a daughter, as a friend? Whatever it might be, how can I be more like Christ? And imagine what can happen, teens. God has put prophets in your life as parents. Imagine the, the things you can avoid in life if you will listen to your parents and listen to what they have to say. And the parents said, amen, <laughs> right? Campus ministry, we have amazing new ministers in the campus ministry. They've got deep convictions. Have a conviction yourself to say, hey, teach me more about what it's like to be a Christian in college. This is a newer thing for me I want to learn. Position yourself to learn that, campus ministry. For the parents in the room, no parent no, feels like they know exactly what they're doing. But few parents actually are vulnerable about that and ask for help. I don't know what I'm doing. What do you see? What can help? What can I change? What can I do different? Because as soon as someone points that out, like, no, I'm doing my best. Hey, man, you can be doing your best and still need some help at the same time. Those are not mutually exclusive realities. <laughs> Professionals ministry. We're going to meet later today. Open yourself up to the deep and meaningful relationships that God wants us to have. The result of family that helps each other. Closeness that combats the loneliness or defeating feelings that can generate through and cause more compromise. To the whole church, imagine the way that God can use us as a beacon of hope to the world around us, if we will all individually choose to listen to the prophets.
Look what Jesus says. He says, just hold on. He says, you'll be victorious. He says, I'm going to give you this, this iron scepter, this iron rod, and you're going to smash the pottery pieces. And you're like, again, Jesus, that sounds kind of violent. The idea is that this area is a trade area, and they know all about different materials. And he's saying, I got the burnished bronze. I, I got the best material you can wish for. Those other gods, those other teachings, that's just clay. It, has, it, it holds nothing. You can smash that in a heartbeat by holding on to what is true. Right, the, the reality, God wants us to hold on to what's true because everything else is a lie and it won't deliver. And the last thing he says is, I will give you the morning star. And the morning star is Jesus. He's the morning star that rises. It's representing the sun, a sunrise, new hope. Church, when we listen to the voice of the prophets, we have more hope. That's the reality. It's not about, oh, I'm burdened. I gotta change this. I gotta work on this. We can have greater hope greater regeneration, a greater newness in our fellowship, in our individual lives, in our marriages, in our parenting, in our interactions with others in the world around us. We can have more hope when we choose to be intolerant of the worldliness that can creep into our, our lives and into our community and say, I will listen to the voice of the prophets that God has put in my life. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's stand and sing one more song.